Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Monday, October 8th. And uh, man, it's been a busy Monday. I don't know. I, I, I'm getting tired. I feel like every show I start with complaining about how much I hate school. I still do. I still do hate school. Um, but it's a reality. I just need to accept it. Um, I am trying. I'm struggling. But I am trying to just be positive and uh, do the best I can. Um, I really hope you're doing well. Honestly, if you're listening to me, talking to me, doing whatever, I, I hope you're doing well. Um, before I jump into the show, I got to ask you guys a question. I got a haircut. And I can't tell if it's good, is it bad, I don't know. So please, be the judge. Is this good, is this bad? Leave a comment, tell me. I would love that. In fact, if you leave a funny comment, please roast me, I'm asking, I'm asking for that. Leave a funny comment, I'll read it on Wednesday, I think it'd be a ton of fun. I, I hope, I, I, I plead that you guys leave funny comments, I think that'd be great. Hey, maybe you always have hated my hair, you think I'm ugly, I don't care. <laughs> um, I want to start with this, I want to start with the Jaguars and the Chiefs, and the best way to start with that is to do an analogy. So when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I loved Star Wars. I was, a, I was a huge, massive fan. I still am a big fan of Star Wars. And so when Star Wars The Phantom Menace came out, uh, I, I was okay with it. I was okay with that movie. As a big fan, I was like, hmm, you know, that's an okay movie. And then I watched it again. And I watched Star Wars The Phantom Menace a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. And as I watched it more, my opinion soured. The more evidence I got, the more I paid attention, the more I realized, oh, that's not a great movie. The things I thought I could look past. You know, when I first watched it, its shortcomings were okay with me because it's Star Wars. Woo, I love Star Wars. And then the more I watched, the more I paid attention, the more I realized... I'm not okay with the flaws this movie has. I, I can't live with them. The shortcomings of the movie started to bother me more and more and more, the more I paid attention. And eventually there was a breaking point. Eventually I realized I, I can't, I don't like this movie. This is a bad movie. The, the more I watched, the more it bothered me, and the more I realized, yeah, you know what? Star Wars The Phantom Menace is just a bad movie. It's never going to be what I want. No matter how many chances I gave it, no matter how many times I watched it, the shortcomings of the Star Wars Phantom Menace movie always bothered me. That is exactly how I feel about Blake Bortles. No matter how many chances I give Blake Bortles, no matter how hard I try to like him, no matter how hard I root for him, Blake Bortles' shortcomings are never going to be good enough for me. Harsh, but true. I have given Blake Bortles chance after chance after chance. I keep hoping the guy's going to win me over. Um, in fact, I watched Blake Bortles mic'd up on YouTube. It's mic'd up against the Jets. It's a cool clip. Blake Bortles seems like a good guy. Seems like a guy I would enjoy hanging out with. But watching Blake Bortles on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs was a breaking point for me. It was for me where I realized I can no longer put up with Blake Bortles' shortcomings. The Jaguars lost to the Chiefs 30-14 to on Sunday. And Blake Bortles was 33 for 61 passing. He did have 430 yards. Man, they did move the ball really well. They had a fourth and two on the goal line. Didn't work out. One of the interceptions he threw was tipped. Not everything was his fault. And Blake Bortles had a touchdown throwing. He also ran for a touchdown. Here's the killer, though. Blake Bortles had four interceptions. Four interceptions. And they didn't score in the first half. Oh, and he lost a fumble. Five turnovers. In one of the biggest games of the year for Blake Bortles, he did not deliver. And Blake Bortles defenders, people who are Blake Bortles apologists, in fact, many Jaguars fans, I'm sure, are not happy with what I'm saying, they will run out and they will comment things like, it's one bad game. He had one bad game. Leave our quarterback alone. Ugh. Is it, though? Is it just one bad game? That's not the first time he's had a game like that. And the other thing they're going to say is, well, the Jaguars only ran. TJ Yeldon ran for only 53 yards. They didn't have a running game. I don't care. I don't care. This was a 
massive game for the Jaguars. The Chiefs were 4-0. They're now 5-0. And the Chiefs' defense is not very good. And I could not fathom a situation where Blake Bortles did not have a good game against the Chiefs' defense. Going into the game, the Chiefs were last in the league in yards allowed per game. 32 out of 32 teams. 31 teams were all better than the Chiefs. They were 31st in pass defense. They were 28th in rushing defense. And yet, despite all of that, the Jaguars couldn't score points. They could not get the ball in the end zone against the Chiefs defense. I mean, here's the thing. If the Jaguars lost to the Chiefs and Blake Bortles had a valiant effort, had four touchdowns, and they just came up a little bit short, that's fine. I would have been okay with that. If he'd even had, you know, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and a a serviceable game, a typical Blake Bortles game, I would have been okay with that as well. However, in one of the, in a matchup against one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL, in a huge game, Blake Bortles not only didn't deliver, he didn't even show up. He had good moments, but I'm out. I'm done. I'm done with Blake Bortles. I can't put up with it anymore. I'm, I'm over it. I can no longer look past Blake Bortles' shortcomings. I tried. I've done it. It's, we're five years in. It's, I, I can't do it anymore. This is not just one bad game. This is a series of bad games. I'm at my breaking point, and I can no longer put up with Blake Bortles' issues. I've given Blake Bortles opportunities to prove himself. And you know what? Sometimes he does well. He shredded the Patriots. He had some good throws on Sunday against the Chiefs. He wasn't all bad. There are moments in Star Wars The Phantom Menace that I enjoy. I I really like Obi-Wan Kenobi's character. I like what's-his-face, the guy from Taken, Liam Neeson's character. There are things about Star Wars The Phantom Menace that I enjoy. It's not all bad. But at the end of the day, the issues outweigh the good and I can no longer put up with the issues of Blake Bortles I can't do it anymore it's year five two weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans he was shut out he had 155 yards passing no touchdowns no interceptions they scored six points the Tennessee Titans only put up nine points in the Jaguars defense and the Jaguars still lost now in a big game against the Kansas City Chiefs the Jaguars throw the ball 61 times they said we need you Blake Bortles, your team needs you, and he could not deliver. He had four interceptions and a fumble. I understand one of the interceptions was on the last play of the game. (sighs) And and the Jaguars have the best defense in the NFL. Arguably the best defense in the NFL, but I think the best defense in the NFL. They kept Patrick Mahomes at bay. The Chiefs quarterback was 22 for 38 passing. No touchdowns throwing. Two interceptions. He did run for a touchdown. But this was a winnable game for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The defense did their part. And the Jaguars quarterback, Blake Bortles, was unable to deliver. Again, it's year five. I don't blame people who have faith on with Blake Bortles. I know Jaguars fans. It's sentimental for them. They like the guy. They're rooting for the person. I understand if Jaguars fans are like, you know what, Zach? We don't agree with you. We're, we're still going to ride or die with our guy. That's fine. But personally, I'm out. I I can't do it anymore. In my opinion, the Jaguars need another quarterback. Blake Bortles is not elite. He's never going to be elite. And the issue is that sometimes he's not even competent. In a big matchup like that against a terrible defense, against Patrick Mahomes, you got to do something. You You can't have a dud. You can't do that. It's not acceptable. The goal is to win Super Bowls, and I do not believe that Blake Bortles is capable of winning a Super Bowl. And when you realize Blake Bortles' ceiling isn't aligning with your goals, you move on. Can he do what we want? No, he can't. So why waste five more years of our time? Why waste two more years? Move on. Blake Bortles isn't going to get you where you need. I don't like that. It doesn't make me feel good to say that, but that's the reality of the situation. Harsh, but true. That was my breaking point. Sunday against the Chiefs was my breaking point with Blake Bortles. I have given up on Blake Bortles as the Jaguars quarterback. I'm done. No longer working. All right, we have a great show today. Uh, I'm going to do a new segment called The Biggest Surprise of the Weekend. Maybe it's the Conor McGregor fight. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. He is making noise again. 
is he is he a leader? Like is is Odell Beckham Jr. is he a leader in the Giants locker room? I'll tell you why or why not. We'll discuss it. And later, Jerry Jones is hurting the Dallas Cowboys. I've never said it. I've been afraid to say it. I'm going to finally go there. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, or maybe you don't like it as much as I do. Maybe you're just like, eh, I like it. It's fine. Help me grow. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. If you want to see me grow the show, help me by telling your friends about it. Share it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. I need to drink some water out of my nice Pac-12 water bottle. It is not a hydro flask, but it sure looks like one, and it's fantastic. I want to do a new segment. This new segment is called Surprise of the Weekend. I want to do something every Monday you can look forward to. You'd be like, hmm, a bunch of stuff happened this weekend. What's going to be Zach's Surprise of the Weekend? I don't know. I hope it's something you guys look forward to in the future. And there are many candidates this weekend for the surprise. LSU lost to Florida. That, that was surprising to me. I didn't expect that. Habib beat Conor McGregor, although not a huge surprise. I think Conor McGregor's a bigger brand. Um, but all my friends who know fighting said Habib is a better ground fighter. If he got Connor on the ground, he's actually better technique. He's a better fighter. Now, the Seahawks almost beat the Rams. That was a really good candidate for surprise of the weekend. However, the Seahawks did not beat the Rams. I will note, though, out of nowhere, the Seattle Seahawks suddenly got a running game, competed with the Rams. It was very surprising. Uh, but the Rams did narrowly escape with a victory, 33-31. to Seahawks didn't win. That can't be the surprise of the weekend. So what is the surprise of the weekend? Here it is. If you ask me, the surprise of the weekend was that the University of Texas beat Oklahoma 48-45. to And they didn't just beat them. They had the lead in the fourth quarter 45-24. to Texas put the beat down on Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma rallied at the end. But, man, Texas is 5-1. and one. They're the number nine team in the nation. Where did that come from? I have been living under a rock, apparently. I know Texas fans are going to be like, we, oh, we knew this was coming. I, I didn't see this coming. I did not expect this. Tom Herman, the Texas coach, well done, my friend. That is awesome. Um, I mean, here's the thing. I want to credit Texas, and I mean no offense to them. This is not because I think lowly of Texas. I just thought really highly of Oklahoma. I thought Oklahoma was on another stratosphere. I thought they were far and away the best team in the Big 12. I didn't give Texas any shot. And the fact that they not only beat Oklahoma, they... Again, we're up 45 to 24 with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's impressive. Texas really put it to Oklahoma. I don't know what happened. I know rivalry games, we tend to elevate our level of play. It's emotional for us, especially at home. The fans are going crazy. But, man, I just, I did not expect Texas to beat Oklahoma at all. In fact, it's more than just that. The Oklahoma quarterback, Kyler Murray, had a pretty good game. He had a bad interception. He did have a fumble. Um, But, man, he had five touchdowns. He played great, and Texas still won. Again, the key to this game was that Oklahoma had three turnovers. Oklahoma had three turnovers. Texas had zero. That matters. Texas played a clean, turnover-free game. And, and again, I love rivalry games. It feels like whether underdogs win or lose in a rivalry game, they always elevate. It's always competitive. I remember we had a, my high school team, we, uh, Skyview versus River. River was our big rival. And even though they were much lower division than us, we were a better talented team. They always rose to the level of play. It was always a competitive game. I don't know. But again, I want to credit Texas. Texas is now 5-1. and one. I'm happy for them. I was watching this game. It was a ton of fun. Did not expect it. And it really seems like Tom Herman is turning around the Texas Longhorns. That's cool. That's just that's fantastic. I, I would love to see Texas return to prominence because they haven't been there for a long, long time. And I would love to see them get back to the top. All right. Uh, let's talk about that Habib Conor McGregor fight. First of all, Conor McGregor lost. Surprise! I mean, he's he's a bigger brand. That's the thing is, Conor McGregor is a bigger brand than Habib. I can't even say his last name. It's a Memenov. Some I I can't say. It. I'm not going to try. I would embarrass myself. But all my buddies who are really really into fighting say that you know Habib is better on the ground. He's better at technique and in some ways a much better fighter. So for a lot of people, you know, Habib won. And it's not a shock. I mean, he won. He got Conor to tap out. I watched it live. It was interesting. 
But after the fight, if you want to talk about interesting, that is when things got really interesting was after the fight. First of all, Habib jumped out of the octagon, started, he went after one of Connor's trainers, the guy who was talking apparently a ton of smack leading up to the fight and uh, saying a lot of personal stuff about country, religion, his father, all kinds of stuff. It was personal. Habib went after him, jumped over the, uh, jumped out of the ring, went after the guy. And even more interesting to me was that Conor McGregor got jumped. I mean, Conor McGregor, he just tapped out. He's a little out of it. He, out of nowhere, he gets shocked from behind. And that, that was really harder than I meant to hit myself. Uh, but, I mean, it was chaos. He got jumped from behind. One of Habib's buddies took on Conor, punched him from behind. It was just, wow, it was interesting. And some people called this a stain on a great night. And other people said it was a massive disgrace. A big disgrace, a, a, a shameful thing to the sport of the UFC. I, I hate to be that guy, but I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to. I hate to be that guy, um, but that brawl was the best possible thing that could have happened to the UFC. In fact, I would even say it's, it's more than that. Conor McGregor losing and then there being a brawl is the best possible outcome for Anybody on Saturday night, at least for the, from the UFC's perspective. I know it looks bad. You got to say, oh, we don't condone that. That's not good. Ah, da, 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 da. Reality is that was fantastic. Here, one of the reasons why I love sports is storylines. The NFL has incredible storylines. It's one of the reasons why I love the NFL. I love the Lakers because they're interesting. They have LeBron. Fighting is unique. Fighting is basically all storylines. Because it's promoting, it's marketing, it's hype. It's building the narrative to get people to buy pay-per-view. Basically, that's how fighting works. I mean, a respectful, honest, quiet person, that guy, a respectful, honest, quiet person is not a star in fighting. Harsh, but true. I mean, fighting's kind of like YouTube. The more outrageous and loud you are, the more money you make. I mean, look at, if you don't agree with me, look at Jake Paul has 17 Million subscribers on YouTube. Logan Paul is 18 million. And we reward, in the past, we've rewarded Conor McGregor's loud, ridiculous behavior. He attacked a bus. Nothing really happened to him. In fact, they just made him more popular. This is why it was good for the UFC. That brawl was extremely advantageous for the UFC. People who did not watch the original, the fight on Saturday, the first Habib McGregor fight, people who did not watch that fight will watch the rematch in six to nine months, a year from now, maybe. One, because Conor McGregor lost. A big brand lost. I want to watch the rematch because now Habib has hope. We now have Habib has legitimized himself. People go, oh, he can compete with Conor. I'll, I'll pay attention now this time. But it's not just the fact that Conor McGregor lost. It's because of that post-fight brawl. When Conor McGregor attacked a bus, it helped the UFC. They used it in promotional videos. It, it built the narrative. It built the hype. McGregor versus Habib, the guy who attacked a bus and the guy that was on the bus. Oh. And that brawl, Saturday night, even though everybody's calling it shameful, they're saying, oh, it's the worst thing ever. All it does is build the narrative for the next fight. And there's a dangerous war of escalation going on in the world of fighting right now. It's dangerous because either at some point people are going to get tired of it. They're going to say, like, ah, this is just becoming the WWE. People are doing outrageous stuff to try to get attention. Or it's going to hit a ceiling where you can't go any more outrageous. After you attack a bus, start a brawl. I mean, where else do you go from here? How do you, how do you do more outrageous stuff? I don't know. But for now, it works. And, and I do want to make that point. The post-fight brawl was really good for the UFC. It creates buzz, intrigue, hype. It's going to sell pay-per-views. That fight, the next fight's going to get even more viewership because of this fight, because of the brawl, because Conor McGregor lost. That's my perspective on the whole thing. We're saying, oh, it's shameful. It's not shameful. It, it, maybe it is. But at the end of the day, it's good for marketing. It's good for sales. And so... I don't know. Fighting right now is a weird, I think somewhat dangerous war of escalation. War of hype, war of outrageous actions. I'm, I'm just really curious to see how it's going to work out. How does this develop? I don't know. But we will find out. 
All right. I want to shift gears now to Odell Beckham Jr. Before the Giants and Panthers game, Odell Beckham Jr. gave an interview that caused a lot of big waves. I, I could read it to you if I want. I don't really, I don't know. It's wordy. I don't want to go there. Here's the thing. Odell Beckham Jr. is speaking about Eli Manning um, and basically said, yeah, I would like to get the ball thrown to me deep. He said Eli Manning can still throw. He's not going to run. Um, but, yeah, I want to go over the top. And I, I really think this was a very optimistic. If you watched the whole interview, he was really optimistic. Um, he said that, you know, we're still, it's before the game happened. So he said the Giants were still one and three. He offered hope for the Giants franchise. And he talked about how the Giants are not throwing the ball downfield. He said the situation he's in with the Giants is not ideal for his production and for his productivity in his career. The scheme, that means coaching, every, including Eli Manning, everything about the situation with the Giants is not ideal. And what Odell Beckham Jr. did was point out the flaws with the Giants. And, and there were many ways he could have done that. He could have been very disrespectful. He could have been really angry. He wasn't. I think the way that Odell Beckham Jr. delivered the message, I would categorize that as respectful. A, a very a respectful way to deliver the message. And whether you like it or not, right Wrong or indifferent, Odell Beckham Jr. is a leader in the Giants locker room. And you have two options from here. You, the fan, listening. You have that option. You can decide, is Odell Beckham Jr. a good leader or a bad leader? He is a leader. We can't change that. But is he a good leader or a bad leader? I think you can make an argument for either one. I'm going to do both. And then I'm going to tell you what I think. So here's an argument for why Odell Beckham Jr. could be categorized as a bad leader. Sterling Shepard, one of the Giants wide receivers, had a sideline meltdown against the Panthers on Sunday. And it was very similar to what Odell Beckham Jr. did last year with a kicking net. You could say, well, Odell Beckham Jr. led by example. He showed that it's acceptable to have a sideline outburst and be outrageous and have a meltdown on the sideline. He showed that behavior is acceptable, and now his teammates are following suit. You can make that argument if you want. And you could further it along by saying, well, Odell Beckham Jr. is saying stuff that was private in the locker room and making that public. If he wanted to call out Eli Manning, if he wanted to say we need better coaching, he could have said that without making it public. So bad example and making things public, you can make an argument. Well, Odell Beckham Jr., he's a bad leader. But you could also make the argument, well, he's speaking for the team. He's a good leader because he's speaking for the players in the locker room that don't have a voice. You know, he has a massive contract. He can say whatever he wants. He can get away with taking chances with his words. Maybe Odell Beckham Jr. can use his star power, his platform, to bring forth a positive change for the New York Giants. And the thing is, Odell Beckham Jr. is kind of right. He said, Eli Manning's not stretching the field. We want to throw the ball downfield. I want to beat guys over the top. And I looked at it. I looked at Eli Manning's stats. Eli Manning's only attempted 13 passes in five games now of 21 yards or farther. He's three for 13 of, on passes longer than 21 yards downfield. <sighs> There's an issue at my college. This is... You'll see how I'm really this in a minute. There's an issue with my college. The broadcasting program, I think, is very damaging for students who want to be broadcasters. What they do is they force you to make a lot of really cringy. Like you think I'm cringy. I'm, I'm I think, pretty quality compared to what they make. They make really cringy, bad content, and they force the students to make it public. And if I had to do that, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be, oh, don't, don't look at that. I don't want people to see that ever. And that damages the student's brand. I think there are many things that my school does that are very, very bad. They're, they're wrong about production stuff. They use old programs. There's a lot of things that I wish I could say that I'm not allowed to speak out against because I don't have a voice. I have no power. I have no control. I actually changed my major because I realized, oh, I can't make a difference. I, no, no one cares about my opinion. And if I want to get good grades and just keep my head down, I had to completely change my major. My hands are tied. I can't speak out. And that, that's frustrating for me. And I imagine there are other Giants players in the locker room going, man, ugh, Eli Manning isn't cutting it. 
and I, I don't have a $65 million contract. I'm barely surviving. I can't come out and say any of this stuff. Odell Beckham Jr. speaks for those guys. He can say those things. He can point out the shortcomings of the franchise. You can say Odell Beckham Jr. is a good leader because he's the only one who can say the things that need to be said. You could argue he's speaking for the players who don't have a voice and he's trying to make a difference. Now, personally, I think that Eli Manning has some all right football left. I don't think Eli Manning's a complete bum. I think the Giants simply don't have the offensive line it's going to require to help Eli Manning win games. And no question, Eli Manning's arm strength has diminished. He cannot throw the ball with as much zip, as much velocity, and over the top the way he used to. I mean, Eli Manning and the Giants, it's not working. It's not working anymore. The Giants don't have the help Eli needs, and Eli's not winning games. They're one and four. Now, here's my perspective. I don't know that Odell Beckham Jr. is some hero, some amazing leader, the way I might have accidentally painted him out to be. But I think that when Eli Manning was spoken about, when OBJ spoke about Eli Manning, he told the truth and he was respectful. Here is exactly what he said. I'm going to read it for you guys. He said, I don't know. I feel like he's not going to get out of the pocket. We know Eli's not running it. Can he still throw? Yeah. But it's been pretty safe. And it's been, you know, cool catching shallow throws and trying to take it to the house. But I'm, you know... I want to go over the top of somebody. And it's kind of weird. It's a weird quote. I read exactly what he said. The truth is uncomfortable. The truth is not always easy to share. But I don't know. Odell Beckham Jr. got paid a ton of money by the New York Giants. He is the face of the franchise. And he is the only person who can say that uncomfortable truth that maybe Eli Manning isn't cutting it. It's not working. Not currently. It's not working with Eli Manning and the Giants. May not be awesome, but I don't know. Now, allow me, Zach Schaumler, not OBJ. This is my opinion. Allow me to offer a solution to the Giants' problem. Draft a quarterback next year. The Giants must draft a quarterback. I think you should draft Justin Herbert if you can get him. Now, the Giants' failures are not all Eli Manning's fault. I don't want to paint it that way. But you got to give Odell Beckham Jr. a guy who can stretch the field. And right now, Eli Manning can't do that. You got to call plays that stretch the field. And right now, they're not doing that. When you watch Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears run these incredibly creative plays, they get guys wide open. You go, man, if only Odell Beckham Jr. played in that system, he would be putting up incredible numbers. And then you watch a guy like Patrick Mahomes throw the ball for the Chiefs. Just He can huck it like 80 yards. His arm strength is incredible. And when you watch that, you realize, oh, the Giants don't have either. They don't have a great scheme that's getting Odell Beckham Jr. wide open. And they don't have a quarterback with a giant arm to throw the ball over the field, down the field, over the top, and take advantage of Odell Beckham Jr.'s mismatch on almost every defender he comes across. I believe the Giants should have drafted a quarterback last year. I was very staunch about it. A lot of people pushed back. And now I admit, it's not all Eli's fault. But don't blame Odell Beckham Jr. Do not call OBJ a bad person. Because he pointed out Eli Manning's shortcomings. He's not. He was honest. I think it took guts to be honest. That's a scary position. But he's the face of the franchise. That is his role with the Giants. You paid him the money. You made him face of the franchise. Now, his thing is to keep the franchise accountable. He has to say that. He has to say what he said in that interview because if he doesn't, nothing in the Giants organization will change. Is he a great leader? I don't know. Probably not. He's kind of immature. He's a little all over the place. But in this situation, he did the right thing. He said, this is a problem with my team. We want to win games. We're not going to win games this way. We need... Better play calling. Maybe we need a different quarterback. He didn't actually say that. But he respectfully said the truth. Truth is uncomfortable. But Odell Beckham Jr. was not wrong. So, I don't know. I do know. I think Odell Beckham Jr. did the right thing. Um, I don't know that I would have done it. I probably would have. I probably would have said, hey, 
this is an issue. I, I do it with my college, um, and, and I think it's important to point out shortcomings because if, if he doesn't, no one will, and nothing would have changed in the Giants' locker room. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner, is hurting the Cowboys. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about rookie quarterbacks, and I'm going to tell you why the two, two and one Green Bay Packers lost a game on Sunday. I'm going to tell you why, despite everything, a lot of people are being lazy. If they are a playoff team, I'll tell you why coming ahead. Remember, you can't subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, maybe you don't. Maybe you hate the show. Maybe you just kind of like it. If you kind of like it, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Remember, if you're listening on YouTube, please tell me, what do you think of my haircut? Is it dumb? Is it stupid? I don't know. Let me know. Help me find out. Um, There are very few things in the world of sports that I am afraid to say. This is one of them. This is something I've avoided in my, like a little over a year I've done this show. I've never said this. Jerry Jones hurts the Dallas Cowboys. The way Jerry Jones operates as the Cowboys owner hurts the Dallas Cowboys. I've recently said, I've kind of evolved my way of thinking. I've said, To win in the NFL, you need four things. You need a coach, a quarterback, a defense, and an offensive line. But there's one more thing that people don't account for that is very important. I said you can't have a crazy owner. You can't have an owner who steps in and makes football decisions. You need an owner. If you want to win, you need coach, quarterback, defense, offensive line, and a coach who does not interfere with football operations. Now, Jerry Jones is not crazy at all. In fact, he's a very likable man. I very much respect Jerry Jones. I hope that comes through. I I like him. I would enjoy having a beer with Jerry Jones. All that being said, you can't have your owner interfering with football operations. And I've always said that, you know, you can't have a crazy owner. And then I've had a little asterisk. I've said, well, Jerry Jones is a different story. No, he isn't. I've just been afraid to say it. I've been afraid to put it out there. I don't want to take on that beast because Jerry Jones isn't going anywhere. So why bother? Why, why say that? Because Jerry Jones isn't going to sell the Cowboys. He's not going to change. I've always felt like, why take that on? Why fight it? Because it's true. It is true. I was watching the Cowboys and the Texans last night, watching the Texans beat the Cowboys. And my buddy texted me. He said, Jim Harbaugh to Dallas? Basically, could Jim Harbaugh leave Michigan and become the next Dallas Cowboys head coach. I immediately replied, no way. That would never happen. Jim Harbaugh would never be the Dallas Cowboys head coach. Because him and Jerry Jones would not get along. Jerry Jones would not relinquish power to John Harbaugh. In fact, they would fight over power. The two of them would not get along. Hmm. So let's be honest here. Jim Harbaugh would be great for the Cowboys. It would be fantastic for the Cowboys to have an awesome head coach like that. And, uh, well, Jerry Jones would not be willing to get out of his way and leave football to the football guys. And if you do that, it's very simple. Oh, well, Jerry Jones is hurting the Cowboys. Jason Garrett has been the Cowboys head coach for a long time. Partly because he lets Jerry do his thing. He lets Jerry have his way. Jason Garrett does not challenge ownership. Jason Garrett's not a complete bum, but let's all be honest. One of the biggest reasons why he's still the Cowboys head coach and has been the Cowboys coach for so long is because he lets Jerry have power and Jerry likes power. Jerry talks to the media more than any owner. He does a radio show. That's uncommon. You don't see the Jets owner doing a ton of interviews and having press conferences after every single game, but you do see Jerry Jones doing that. The best thing that Jerry Jones could do for the Dallas Cowboys is to hire a great general manager, hire a great coach, and then get out of the way. Let them delegate football to them and leave it to them. But the problem is Jerry Jones can't do that. 
He is incapable of giving up his power within the Dallas Cowboys organization, and the Cowboys suffer because of it. Jerry Jones is hurting the Cowboys because he's unwilling to let football guys do football and just be an owner, be a financier. Most guys, most owners in the NFL, Robert Kraft, I think, rarely steps in and makes football decisions. He might have done it with Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady, but that's once in 18 years? I don't know. The best owners are guys who leave football to football guys. Jerry Jones does not do that. And John Harbaugh could very much help the Cowboys, and he will never be the Cowboys coach because they would not get along. Why did... Jimmy Johnson leave the Cowboys? Oh, because Jerry Jones. Hello? Jerry Jones hurts the Dallas Cowboys. Enough said. Let's talk about the Packers. The Packers are 2-2-1. They lost to the Lions on Sunday, 31-23. And my initial reaction was, oh, man. Packers suck. And all they have is a quarterback. I said, you know, the Lions led 24 to nothing at halftime. And I think it'd be pretty lazy, actually, to say the Packers suck. To say the Packers are a bad team and they only have Aaron Rodgers was my initial reaction. But when I looked into it, I realized, oh, hmm, that's lazy. That's wrong. No, I I acknowledge in week one, the Packers trailed to the Bears at halftime. Aaron Rodgers led this incredible comeback. And then I acknowledge again in week three, the Redskins led the Packers 28 to 10 at halftime. And now we have in week five, the Lions led the Packers 24 to nothing in halftime. And you can't expect Aaron Rodgers to have a miracle comeback every single week. So it looks like, from, a, from an outsider's perspective, if you don't do any research, any homework, you don't look into it, it looks like the Packers are just a terrible football team, and all they have is this quarterback, this legendary quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, who has no help around him. It looks like it, but that's not actually the narrative. If you do research, if you look, you'll realize it's not true. Against the Lions, the Packers had five drives in the first half other than the one where they kneeled. There were three missed field goals and two fumbles on those five drives. And in the end of the game, the Packers kicker, Mason Crosby, finished 0 for 5 kicking field goals. No, no makes, five misses. It's three times five, that's 15 points. That means the score could have been 38 to 31, the Packers with the lead by seven points. Oh, and by the way, Aaron Rodgers had two fumbles. When you think about it that way, you go, oh, well, hmm, the Packers should have won that game, shouldn't they? And then people always say, well, the Packers have a terrible running game. They're so bad at running the football. First of all, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And when you have a quarterback who can throw the ball like Aaron Rodgers, would you run the ball 50 times a game? No, you wouldn't. But if you look even closer, hmm, are the Packers really terrible at running the ball? False. They are not. The Packers have 506 rushing yards this year. That's 16th in the NFL. They average about 100 yards rushing a game. Oh, and how about the Packers' defense? Well, uh, the Green Bay Packers are 7th in total NFL yards given up. Oh, and that's, by the way, that's Washington and New Orleans are ahead of them, and they both play tonight, which means they've played one game fewer, which means the numbers are skewed, which means the Packers could be very easily in the top five and total yards given up in the NFL. And uh, yards per game, the Packers rank fifth in the NFL. They're fourth in total pass yards given up. They're 14th in points given up, and they're 15th in rush yards given up. The point is to say the Packers are okay. They're not as bad at running the ball as everyone says, and their defense is in the top half of the league in every category, sometimes in the top 10. They have a top 10 defense. They are able to run the ball better than half of the teams in the league. Mike McCarthy is a solid head coach for the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback in the entire NFL. So when you relax, you take deep breaths, you look at it closely, you'll realize, oh, hmm. The Packers are not a terrible team with just a good quarterback. They have a good quarterback, a solid coach. They can run the ball about as good as most teams in the NFL. And they have a top 10 in most situations defense. So the narrative that the Packers suck is simply not true. They're 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. They are tied for second in the NFC North. According to statistics, if you look at the numbers, you'll realize, uh-huh, the Packers could very easily still be a playoff team. 
Do not panic if you're a Green Bay Packers fan. And if you're a, a critic of the Packers, or maybe you're a Vikings fan, maybe you're a Lions fan, maybe you're a Bears fan, don't overlook the Packers. They're not out of it. They're not as bad as their numbers suggest, that their record suggests, excuse me. And when you actually look at it, they're not a terrible running team. They have a solid defense, great quarterback, good head coach. All the things you need to win a game, win, to win in the NFL. So I think the Packers are fine. Don't overreact to that 2-2-1. Two, two and one. They're better. The Packers are better than their record suggests. <clears throat> okay. Um, on Sunday, something remarkable happened. Four rookie quarterbacks started games, and four rookie quarterbacks all won. Baker Mayfield to the Browns, they won their game. Sam Darnold and the Jets, they won. Josh Allen, the Bills won. The Cardinals with Josh Rosen, they won. Oh, and guess who lost? Among other teams, two of the teams that lost were the Giants and the Broncos. Guess who decided not to draft rookie quarterbacks this year? The Giants and, oh, the Broncos. The Broncos are two and three. The Giants are one and four. The Giants are one and four. It's an interesting one and four because their quarterback, Eli Manning, actually isn't playing that terribly. Eli Manning has a 71% completion percentage, six touchdowns, three interceptions. That's a good ratio. And yet it doesn't matter. Despite the fact that Eli Manning's not playing horribly, the Giants are unable to win. Now, Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham Jr., a, a quality, a, a quarterback that's good enough to win. And despite all of that, they're one and four. Elon Manning's 37. It looks to me like the Giants should enter rebuild mode. It's, it's very important you remember the Giants passed on Sam Darnold. They passed on Josh Allen and they passed on Josh Rosen. Every single one of them is starting in the NFL. They're progressing. They're coming along, getting better. The Giants should have drafted one of those three quarterbacks they passed on. They should have. They're, they're not winning games. It's not going well. Even with Eli Manning playing well, it's not enough. He's not playing incredible, but he's not playing terrible. Playing good enough certainly to win games. It doesn't matter. The Giants are 1-4. and four. They should have drafted a quarterback. But the Broncos is even more surprising to me. I understand. The Giants had this quarterback who's probably a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's won them Super Bowls. He's already on their roster. I understood. I didn't agree with it, but it made sense emotionally to me why the Giants committed to Eli Manning. I said it was wrong. I was very critical of the Giants. I said it was a mistake, but it at least there was some logic and sense behind it and an emotional feel. It made sense to me. The Broncos is the one that's like, the heck were you guys doing? What did you do? The, instead of drafting a rookie quarterback, what the Broncos did, their decision was to sign Case Keenum, a journeyman backup quarterback who'd never really found a home anywhere. It's his fourth team in six years. They said, we're going to sign Case Keenum, a backup quarterback, to a big contract, and we're going to, instead of drafting a quarterback, no, 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 no. We're going to draft a defensive end, Bradley Chubb, a, a quality, a, a solid defensive end, a good prospect. The guy, you know, hey, fine. You want him? No worry. Oh, but uh, the NFL rules changed this offseason, hurting defenses, helping quarterbacks. And again, I, I, can't, I can't get past this. The Broncos chose to forego drafting a quarterback so they could get a defensive end and then commit a bunch of money to a backup quarterback. They passed on Josh Allen. They passed on Josh Rosen. They drafted a defensive end. Well, right now, the Broncos are 2-3. and three. Case Keenum has five touchdowns, seven interceptions. And Case Keenum's not working out. And it's not just that. Not only is Case Keenum not working out. On Sunday, Case Keenum lost to a rookie quarterback, Sam Darnold. The Broncos lost... 34 to 16 to the New York Jets and their rookie quarterback Sam Darnold. I really thought that the Jets game for the Broncos was a must win. I thought the Broncos that was a must win game. You have a supposedly elite defense. You committed to a 
defensive end and a backup quarterback? Because you said your defense is good enough to win games. We just need Case Keenum to be competent and drive the car down the road. And guess what? Nope. <laughs> your defense is not elite. You lost 34-16 to to a rookie quarterback. I don't know. All offseason, Broncos fans told me how great Case Keenum was. Case Keenum is going to play better than he did with the Vikings. He's going to lead us to the Super Bowl. Is he, though? Because I don't think he is. And there were reports this offseason, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes is throwing an interception every single day in practice. Meanwhile, Case Keenum not throwing a single interception in practice. Case Keenum's safe. I do not like safe and limited quarterbacks. That is exactly what Case Keenum is. Can we admit now the Broncos should have drafted a quarterback? The Giants should have drafted a quarterback? There were four rookie quarterbacks in this draft class. It all look good right now. They all are starting. They won a game this weekend. They look fantastic. They look like they're young. They're not perfect, but they're all getting better, progressing, and they're going to have promise. They look like they're all going to be good starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And the Giants and the Broncos both passed on at least two of them. The Giants passed on three of them. The Broncos passed on two of those guys. It's not that hard, people. It's, it's not that complicated. Running backs don't win games. Saquon Barkley is not winning games for the Giants. Oh, and defensive ends. They don't win games. Khalil Mack's best game of the year. Who is, he is by far the best defensive end in football. Khalil Mack had a great game against the Packers. Best game of his season so far. And Aaron Rodgers won the game anyways. Why are the Bears winning? Because of their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. You need a quarterback if you want to win games. The Giants and the Broncos do not have their quarterback of the future. And they could, but they decided to draft a running back and a defensive end instead. All four rookie quarterbacks won this week. One of them beat the Giants. Or sorry, one of them beat the Broncos, excuse me. Four rookie quarterbacks won, the Giants and the Broncos lost. It says a lot. They both made mistakes. They should have drafted rookie quarterbacks. They did not. They're going to pay for that for years. I hope, I hope, you know, maybe they'll get Justin Herbert or Drew Locke or one of the guys coming up. Likely, right? Likely going to happen. But man, they, they could have been one year done. They could have built around a rookie quarterback and been one year into the progress. Instead, they're going to restart next year. Um, they're going to lose. They're going to have a bad year this year. And they're going to wait to restart and reboot their franchise until next year. It's not good. You, you waste, you're wasting a year of Odell Beckham Jr.'s productivity, basically, is what you're doing. Oda Beckham Jr. is a legendary talent. The Giants wasted a year. The, the Broncos only have a, so many years left with Von Miller. And uh, this is basically a wasted year for Von Miller. No chance to win a Super Bowl. No chance to use all his talent to the max. They could have been one year into the rebuild. And the Giants and the Broncos both passed on quarterbacks, made a big mistake. All right, let's shift gears now. To the Browns. The Browns won on Sunday. It was glorious. The Browns beat the Ravens 12-9 to in overtime. And, uh, man, this Browns team is awesome. This is the third overtime game the Browns have played this year. They're 2-2-1, two, two and one, and every single one of their games has been within one score. Again, I want to say this Browns team is different. It's fantastic. It's fun to watch. They are fighting and fighting and fighting. It is so... It's such a pleasure to watch. I mean, I, my whole, I'm not a Browns fan. I'm not from Cleveland. I have no affiliation to that region at all. But my entire life, the Browns have been atrocious, awful, awful. And to see the Browns turning it around, I mean, I've waited my whole life for that. I, I, they're like the little engine that could. Does anybody hate the, really, does anybody hate the Browns? I would love to see Cleveland have a good story. And it seems like that's happening. I mean, the Browns are chewing, scratching, clawing, doing everything they can. They're not an elite team. But the Browns, things are changing in Cleveland. And I'm so glad. I mean, Baker is going through growing pains. Baker Mayfield, their starting quarterback, their rookie starting quarterback. He's not perfect. He had one touchdown, also had an interception last week against the Ravens. He was sacked five times. But it looks like he's their guy. He's their quarterback of the future. He's building something. 
And if you look at the AFC North right now, the Bengals are 4-1, and one, the Ravens are 3-2, and two, and the Steelers and the Browns are 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. The AFC North is still up for grabs. It's anybody's division. And the Browns are very much in the mix. I think that is so cool. I just, I, man, I, I'm overjoyed. To see the Browns competitive, five games into the year, every single one of their games has been within a score. They're two wins in. Thank you. Thank, thank goodness, man. I, I want to see things turn around in Cleveland, and it looks like they are. It's fantastic to me. Again, they're like the little engine that could. Everybody's rooting for them, and they're finally making it happen. I love it. I love it. I love it. Guys, that is all I have. Um, I, I really appreciate you. That's all I have to say today. Um, there is a game tonight on Monday Night Football. I don't know who to pick. Uh, the Ravens, sorry, excuse me. Ugh, ugh, can't even talk. The Saints are playing the Redskins. And, um, you know, I think the, the Redskins defense is simply better than people realize. I know they played one game fewer than everybody, but right now I think they're number one in like every defensive category. That's a great matchup. I mean, the Redskins play good defense. They have a safe quarterback, Alex Smith. And the Saints have Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, you're listening to this, no doubt, either during the game or after the game, because that's this podcast. It is now, it's 5 o'clock on the dot. It's 4.59 right now, so you're not going to listen to this after the game. I don't know what's going to happen, but on Wednesday we will talk about it. Remember, I didn't get my haircut. Is it good? Is it bad? Please tell me. Is, if it's trash, feel free to roast me. I would enjoy that. I'll read your comments on Wednesday. It'd be really fun. And uh, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're having a great week. I'm hanging in there myself. I struggle with depression. I'm a weird dude. That's what happens. But I hope you're doing well. I really do hope you are doing well. I will see you guys on Wednesday. Have a great day. But um bum bam, we are done. Bye.